Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The federal government finally dropping all COVID border restrictions. The Christmas shopping season has already started. The Tiger Cats teach local kids the X's and O's. Rihanna will take over Super Bowl Sunday. NASA delivers a big body check in outer space. And new funding is on the way to help at-risk youth in Hamilton. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Huge, huge developments at Canadian borders. And uh, you will have heard federal government is dropping all of its COVID-19 border restrictions. It is a major milestone in Canada's pandemic response. We've had a number of these milestones that we've hit, this one being one of the biggest ones and might be one of the last ones to come about. How is it going to impact, we just talked about it in a couple of segments ago, the Christmas shopping season, border towns, the tourism industry. Uh, is it going to have a massive impact? Marvin Reiner is a professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and returns for another outing here on Good Morning Hamilton. Marvin, appreciate your time. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Glad to be with you. Is there any information on how damaging border restrictions have been to places like Niagara Falls, Fort Erie, Windsor, uh, the, the tourism industry, and or retailers on this side of the border. How, how bad was it? Yeah, uh, we, don't, we don't quite have that data because um, uh, another thing that happened was as much as we didn't get the cross-border shoppers, then it couldn't go the other way. So the Canadians who normally might say, well, let's do a field trip over to Niagara Falls, New York, you couldn't do that during the pandemic. So we don't quite know. But it's down, we think sales in some areas were down between 40 and 50 percent, uh, certainly during the depths of the uh, pandemic in the year 2020 and early 2021. Now, since then, we have slowly been getting back to normal, and you're talking about milestones. The first of those is when you didn't have to have a test to return to Canada. You remember those tests? You couldn't do the rapid antigen test. You had to have the other test, and that took 72 hours, and how are you going to get that? And that certainly was a, a big difficulty in, in traveling. The minute we waived those tests, we started to get back to normal. The only little wrinkle was that if you were outside the country trying to come in, you had to have the Arrive Canada app or Arrive Can app. And uh, most Americans who wanted to cross the border had no idea what you were talking about because <laughs> that wasn't something they were requiring. So they would get into line, say, a line of cars at Fort Erie. Oh, i got to have an Arrive Can. Okay, download that. And they would download it suddenly, and they would try to fill it out to try to have it done by the time they got to the customs agent, and of course most of the times they didn't, and that really made the crossing slow. They still came across, they didn't turn around and drive back, but it just slowed everything up. Same thing at the airports. So what we're hoping is this is a step back to normal, and with these impediments out of the road, that we'll see traffic resume normal volumes, and in places like airports, that we'll see speed go back to where it was before. Getting through customs, getting through security, we'd like to think is going to get faster, all of which will make us more attractive as we go. Amen to that. Uh, on the other side of the equation, though, we know that major retailers, and we discussed this moments ago on the show, major retailers are planning to launch their Christmas shopping season right. next week. With border restrictions gone, should we expect an exodus of Canadians flooding to the U.S., or will inflation, the lower Canadian dollar, higher gas prices keep them closer to home? Yeah, well, it's not going to be the inflation because the American inflation has actually been worse than our inflation. Americans look at ours and say, oh, it's only 7% in Canada, it's 8.1% in, in the United States. It's not inflation, but it will be the dollar. 
Uh, our dollar now is trading below 75 cents U.S., and so if you want to do cross-border shopping, i.e. you're a Canadian and you want to go to the States, buying those American dollars has just gotten a lot more expensive. The bargains, therefore, have to be that much better. On the other hand, if you're an American and you're thinking of either buying Christmas goods or maybe even just visiting a casino, suddenly when you get more Canadian dollars to gamble with, it's very attractive. So in that sense, with these restrictions going, the attraction of people outside our country to come here is very high, and that's great news as well. Uh, and it, there's a bit of a retarding of people wanting to cross the border because the dollar is, has lost some value. So, again, that's a, two good things that help us and, and also attract people from outside. We have one more minute with Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And we'll use up that minute to talk about, you mentioned the air travel industry. Are we expecting the floodgates to open and maybe more importantly for the business air travel industry? Well, let's break those into two chunks. For consumers, uh, the floodgates had already opened. In fact, uh, take earlier this year, take February or so of this year, as we were relaxing some of these restrictions, some people thought it would take 10 years, 10 years for the airline industry to recover, and instead it took something like 10 weeks, and we were back to normal volume. So the problem had been we weren't we, the airlines, were not capable of processing that volume and dealing with all these other restrictions. And so you might remember that for uh, June, July, and August, Air Canada canceled some commercial flights just because they couldn't handle them. They didn't have enough pilots, they didn't have enough ground crews, what have you. So I'd like to believe that they're now ready for the full br- uh, blunt of all this, the full uh, onslaught of people, and they'll have that already. In terms of business travel, the, the thing that's... Uh, Probably the biggest hurt against business travel was the popularity of things like Zoom and Skype to have meetings, and that is not going to bounce back quite as quickly. Companies could see a tangible benefit of not sending people around the world to meetings, so I think they're going to take a little longer before they start doing that again. But for you and I as citizens traveling, the cold Canadian weather, and as I, I got a kick out of you saying right now it's 12 with a high of 13. Oh, right, we better book that trip to, to Florida or something. I think that's going to be a regular, we're going to have a very much regular travel season this year. I think so too. Marvin, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder, a professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When was the last time you were at a shopping mall or some kind of retailer in which you normally go there during the Christmas shopping season to pick up some goodies for the kids or relatives or friends or co-workers. Well, if you've been there um, over the last couple of days at least, you will probably have noticed um, some Christmas wrapping for sale, some ornaments here or there, maybe even some decorations right beside all the Halloween stuff. It's unbelievable. And it's probably not a big surprise because with rising prices due to inflation, many retailers want to get an extra early jump on the Christmas shopping season. But is this something that consumers are yearning for? Do we want an earlier and longer Christmas shopping season? Let's ask our expert. Bruce Winder is a retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During and After COVID-19 and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Bruce, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing really well, Rick. Thanks for having me on. We're seeing Christmas items on store shelves earlier and earlier every year, and this year is uh, no exception. Is this something that consumers want? 
Not necessarily, no. Um, it's more something that retailers try to do to sort of seed the season, get people shopping early. In some ways, this year, some consumers do want to see some deals earlier, though. There's been a consensus that consumers are going to start shopping earlier this year because they're pinching their pennies. They've they've sort of lived through supply chain issues for the last couple of years. So there's there's a huge sort of consensus that consumers are going to shop early. And what you're seeing is a lot of the big retailers trying to put some of these deals out there. But the fact that you walk through in like August and September <laughs> and see Christmas products is a little annoying to some consumers. Absolutely. I'd be in that group for sure. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're seeing major retailers like Amazon, uh, Walmart everywhere, everyone in between, uh, planning to roll out big deals during the first week of October in an effort to kickstart the Christmas shopping season, I guess by attracting, as you mentioned, you know, those cash-strapped customers. And I guess the theory or the basis behind this is that the longer the Christmas shopping season is, uh, customers have, let, let's call it three months instead of maybe a month to do their shopping. Is this something that retailers are, are keying in on because inflation is where it is? Yeah, it really is. I mean, to your point you just made, um, consumers are going to start earlier and they're going to start cherry picking for big deals. So if they see something with a big discount, they're going to they're going to buy it early just so they can secure it and save money. Because sometimes when you late too when you wait too long and you're doing your Christmas shopping or holiday shopping, you kind of end up buying stuff at full price. Um, you know, because because you're desperate. So so consumers are trying to avoid that, and retailers need it too. This hasn't exactly been the best year for retailers. A lot of retailers are clearing out inventory, so they need the sales too. They want to clear out that inventory, so it's kind of win-win for both parties. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Bruce Winder, retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. We're talking about the extended or early Christmas shopping season, which has launched in, well, some stores. What type of Christmas shopping season should retailers expect? Is this a subdued season that's going to be on the way? A tepid one. There might be some highs for some consumer or some retailers, but many lows for most. Yeah, it's going to probably be a okay at best holiday season. You know, I like to say low single digit growth, um, and you know, some of that, a lot of that, could be inflation because prices are higher. So it's not going to be the best Christmas season or holiday season. It's going to be okay. It's going to vary by price point. So if you're a luxury customer. This whole inflation thing hasn't really put a dent in you as much, so you'll be shopping as much, if not more, than normal. But if you're a consumer, which is most folks who are watching their money, then it's going to be a bit of a different um, holiday. You know, yeah, you'll spend on toys if there's little ones, um, but other discretionary things you're going to try to cut back on. It's been quite the ride for retailers over the last number of years. We've had, of course, the pandemic in 2020, which kind of really put that Christmas uh, in the bullseye in terms of trying to get out shopping and, and retailers trying to make uh, ends meet. Uh, 2021, we had supply chain issues, and I guess we still have some of those. 2022, inflation. I'm afraid to find out what's going to happen next year, Bruce. I know it really has been a string of bad luck, and it just shows you, you know, the 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 rebir- the, rever- the the ripple effect, I guess, of the pandemic. It just it's it's going to impact us as a society for probably five to ten years after, right? And it just shows you how it creates such such differences in consumer behavior, and retailers are having a hard time forecasting that. Bruce Winter is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Bruce is a retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. We're talking about the extended or early start to the Christmas shopping season. Regarding supply chain issues, are we still seeing those to a certain degree? 
Uh, they're starting to taper down. So some of the supply chain issues are starting to kind of clear up a little bit. But one of the issues that retailers have now is they have too much inventory in certain areas. So they had to order a lot and order it early when we were in the heat of the supply chain issues. And as some of them cleared out, uh, some of that merchandise arrived early. Um, and, uh, you know, consumers, they ordered it before consumers hit the wall of inflation. So now you just have a glut of inventory in certain pockets of retailers. And they're going to be pretty aggressive this fall trying to get rid of it. Yeah, we'll see some of those big deals for sure. Bruce, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Bruce Winder, retail analyst, author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. Pick it up in your favorite bookstore, either physical or online. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we know it was uh, not the best of games last Friday for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but they're making some waves off the field as well. And here to talk about it is Courtney Stephen. He is the, uh, well, he's the guy behind all these great community projects partnerships that the Tiger Cats have unleashed from time to time, and two of them that we're going to talk about are no different. Courtney, good morning. How are you? Doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me. The Tiger Cats and Stelco announcing an enhanced mentorship program at the high school level. Tell us about this. Yeah, so the high school mentorship program is one that's been a staple in the community for for many years now, but with this partnership with Stelco, we've been able to enhance and expand the program. So we're very excited about that. This year, we'll reach out to over 20 high schools and we'll have players going to both practices and games. But the thing that's really cool about this program is with the help of Stelco, we're going to be able to provide five bursaries for $2,000 a piece to students who will be graduating after this school year and giving them you know, $2,000 that's going to contribute to unloading some of that burden of extending your academic career and going on to post-secondary. That's pretty cool because as we know, post-secondary is not cheap and uh, these bursaries are going to go a long way to helping a lot of uh, students who are uh, going to be able to use that money for whether it's tuition or books or whatever the case is. So that that's awesome. There's also the Chuck Ely Black and Gold Award and this is pretty exciting as well. Yeah, and so the, the bursaries break down that there will be one called the Made in the Hammer Award and one called the Chuck Ely Black and Gold Award. And specifically, the Chuck Ely Black and Gold Award goes out to a, a Black student athlete who exemplifies the the fearless spirit of Chuck Ely himself, who was the first Black quarterback to win a Grey Cup. He did so in Hamilton with the Ticats. And for those who aren't familiar with Chuck's story, he was an undefeated quarterback at Toledo in university. When he went to the NFL, they wanted him to change from his natural position as a quarterback. And so for that reason, he elected to uh, come up north where they were going to let him play the position that he was actually quite good at, you know, going undefeated <laughs> in college. Then he, he went on to win uh, a Grey Cup. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. He's, he's put his roots down here in Canada. He lives not too far away from Tim Hortons Field. And, you know, for a guy who has done so much to contribute to the lore of Tide Cat Nation, to the hammer, all those things. I thought it was really cool that he's going to get a chance to get his flowers, as they say, and get some recognition while he can still appreciate it. You know, many of the awards and um, honors that people receive are after they, they pass. So this is a pretty cool one for a guy who's still with us. Absolutely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Courtney Stephen, the Director of Community Partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Another amazing initiative that the Cats are uh, unfurling is the first on the field flag football. This sounds pretty exciting. 
Absolutely. And, and this one is a little bit different than the high school mentorship program. First on the field flag football, it's all about the young kids. And so students who are in grades four to six, we're going to bring about 200 of them to Tim Hortons field over a course of two days. And they're going to get to interact with these guys in their natural habitat on Tim Hortons field, uh, learning some drills. And then they're going to get to play flag football, which is one of the best sports out there. You know, it's, it's very inexpensive to play flag football. All you really need is just the ball and a couple of flags. The teams are much smaller than tackle football, so it's not as hard to organize a group and get them around. And then, um, of course, it's something that boys and girls can play, and they can play together. So getting people into football and the first experience being at Tim Hortons Field is a pretty cool, memorable moment that we're glad to, to offer people. And, and we couldn't do it without our partners from First Ontario. Flag football is so popular that the National Football League is changing its Pro Bowl to a flag football game. They're going to have you know week-long skills competitions in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, but the main game is going to be flag football. How cool is that, and does that kind of change the perspective maybe from a parent's mind to say, yeah, I want to get my kids involved in flag football. Maybe they'll graduate to tackle and, and on and on. Yeah, you know what? I, I think flag football is a humongous opportunity, both obviously for the NFL and specifically for the CFL for a number of reasons. Um, you know, since the whole concussion narrative has made it into the mainstream media, it's been one of those things that gave parents a little bit of pause in registering their kids to sign up. And we've seen that in the registration numbers over the last decade. They've been on a steady decline in a number of regions, both here locally and obviously south of the border as well. So Tackle football, while we all love it and it is a great game, flag football could be a game that is for a wider audience. And so to support the growth of football in general in all its forms, I think having flag football be on the pedestal at the Pro Bowl is awesome. And it's only going to drive more people to, you know, dip their toe in the water and play community flag football, which eventually leads to what? more football fans, more people down the road as they get older, maybe signing up for tackle and just a healthier football ecosystem for, for everybody that's involved. Maybe the CFL should have a flag football all-star game of its own. You know what? I'd, I'd love to see that. And I think it'd be something that logistically it might be a little bit more reasonable to organize because in an all-star game, nobody wants to get hurt. Let's just say that first mm -hmm. and foremost. Right. And that's one of the main reasons I haven't watched the pro bowl in probably 20 years just because it's not entertaining but when people are playing flag football you're showing off the speed the athleticism the catching those are the things that really give you the oohs and ahs and there's a ton of guys in the cfl who are making a name from showing off their speed their athleticism and their catching right so why not showcase that and, and give the cfl another thing that they can provide to the fans who are always hungry for more football i think flag would be great to see for at the cfl level and then also for the teams to support in their local communities, which I know a lot of them do so well. Uh, it's just a great product. It's a great tool. It's a great uh, game to, to celebrate and to continue to pour our effort into. For more information on the Ticats first on the field flag football initiative and the high school mentorship program, you can get more details online at Ticats.ca. Courtney, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Rick, I appreciate it. Thank you.
That is Courtney Stephen, Director of Community Partnerships with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And uh, big ups to Stelco with the high school mentorship program. That's going to do a lot of great uh, stuff in this community. And the first on-the-field flag football program is a couple of hundred students today and tomorrow will be on the field at Tim Hortons Field to participate in this. And this is a great program because you're getting kids active, you're getting them exposed to football, and maybe some might have shied away, especially from the tackle game. Because, well, their parents might be in their ear thinking, hey, we, we don't want you to get a concussion or a broken leg or, um, you know, injured in some regard. Flag football, much, much safer, that is for sure. And, uh, again, it gets kids outside, away from their electronic stuff and their gadgets and gets them uh, a little more physically fit, which is uh, something we can all need, personally speaking, as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're going to hear a lot more of this on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona, the site of Super Bowl 57, as Rihanna is going to play the halftime show at Super Bowl L-V-I-I. Rick Samprin with you. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Yeah, huge news that uh, Rihanna's going to play the halftime show, and I'm excited for this, and I'm sure our next guest is. Cindy Boren is her name, sports reporter with the Washington Post, and she joins us now. Cindy, welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? It's great to be with you. I'm fine. Hope you're doing well. I'm fantastic. I loved Rihanna's Instagram post announcing the news. Just a photo of her... Holding a football. I mean, simple to the point, but it painted a great picture. Not just any football, the official NFL football <laughs> to Duke. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, you know, yeah. her arm against this dark white background, just, you know, from the her forearm, really, holding the football. And she she put it out there ahead of, of everyone else. You know, there had been rumors about it. And this is the time of year when the Super Bowl halftime show is always announced. And there's always a little bit of buzz about it, just. When you cover football, you you know that, and that's just one of the, you know, not huge stories, but it's one of the things in the back of your mind um, as you think about coverage. And I said to to my editor last week, I said, you know, they're, we're heading into that time of year, and the Super Bowl halftime will 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 be announced soon after you know the uh, NFL and the producers put out a little bit of buzz in the trade trade publications, and sure enough. Uh, there was some buzz about Rihanna, and then she kind of jumped the gun with mm-hmm. her her uh, Instagram uh, post, you know, by maybe five minutes um, ahead <laughs> of the NFL's official announcement. But it was kind of cool. This is big news for a number of re- reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. she had turned down a Super Bowl halftime opportunity a couple of years ago in support of what Colin Kaepernick was trying to achieve. Exactly. She had said there's just no way this was in... Uh, uh, she confirmed it in uh, 2019, so I'm not sure whether it was the the 19 Super Bowl or whether maybe it was the 18 Super Bowl because, you know, Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee in 2016, you will recall, and then it really kind of became a, a bigger thing for other players. And, and uh, you know, it was the, the focus of the ire of the former president um, who was just tweeting madly about it for months and complaining about it, um, using it or trying to for his political advantage. And then things changed. Uh, She, um, uh, for her, uh, the NFL, the the George Floyd murder, there were the events of that summer of 2020. And the NFL realized, uh, admitted, I should say, finally, that they got it wrong, that, that, um, that they should have been more responsive 
initially, and, and I guess not quite as fearful of, of the former president. So I, that, and of course, Jay-Z has taken over now. Um, the NFL about that time uh, collaborated, hired Jay-Z's Rock Nation to produce the Super Bowl shows along with Apple Music. And, you know, they've, they've moved in a different direction. They After, the, <laughs> after Rihanna, Rihanna said no back then, they, they went with Maroon, Maroon 5, mm-hmm. and I think everyone will admit it was a kind of rotten halftime show. Yeah, that was about the, the worst one we've seen in 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 years, really. And in modern times. In in yeah. modern times, yes. We can hearken back to the uh, the, the the bands that played during the uh, first few Super Bowls, and I'm sure they weren't as exciting as what Rihanna is going to bring to the table uh, come February. Uh, we're in discussion with Cindy Boren, sports reporter with the Washington Post, talking about the upcoming Super Bowl halftime show in Arizona. And you mentioned it. The other big part of this is that this is the first uh, sponsorship deal with Apple Music. Pepsi had been sponsoring the halftime show for years, and I would guess that Apple Music is going to want to come in with all sorts of um, exciting news and and make this perhaps one of the biggest halftime shows ever. Do you get that sense as well? Oh, absolutely. I think what we saw last year, uh, last year, January or February, you know, ten months ago, whatever mm-hmm. it was, uh, the year has sped, sped by. Um, what we saw was a. a just a gigantic show with a, a number of, of rap stars. You know, you had uh, just just a really, really um, kind of a, a pageant of, of rap stars. And it was, it didn't really go over well with a lot of the old people, but the young people liked it. It was a great show. People who had never really been uh, paid too much attention to rap before, I think, looked at it and said, wow, this is really amazing. And I would expect something like that. I mean, that's where Jay Z's going to go with it. And that's where Rihanna's going to go. And I certainly there will be other uh, other people announced. I think who will be part of it. As for the Super Bowl Fifty Seven combatants, uh, who do you think is going to face off in Arizona come February twelfth? Well, there's only two undefeated teams right now, so maybe <laughs> I'm not really, you know, I'm not really thinking that it that it will be the Eagles and the the Dolphins, but. Um, uh, you know, it there there are the two undefeated teams, and everyone else is. We're at the point in the season where everyone else is just middling. You know, everyone else is just kind of meh hmm. mm-hmm. uh, to me. Nobody really has any any um, indestructibility. Um, everybody has vulnerabilities, and and I'm not really sure. So maybe I, I'm always going to probably pick the Chiefs. I had originally sided with the Bills over the Chiefs this year, but. They kind of crumpled in the heat uh, in Miami. The Dolphins look really good, but I'm just not convinced that they're there yet. And then the NFC, you know, my Lord, the NFC is wide open for anybody. Yeah. I think the NFC, and we knew that, you know, um, maybe the Buccaneers can can get their act together as the season goes on the way they did when they won the Super Bowl a few years ago. And, of course, the Packers will be solid, but they will in the playoffs. Cindy, the last thing I want to see is another Tom Brady Super Bowl appearance. Oh, <laughs> We've had but, enough. But really, but really, this one would be the last one. I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> but, you know, don't hold me to it. Yeah, well, he could pl- probably play until he's 50 and still be one of the greatest. Cindy, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for the time. And uh, not only enjoy the Super Bowl halftime show, but I'm sure we'll speak with you well before that. 
Sounds great. Thank you. Cindy Boren, sports reporter with The Washington Post. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Three, two, one. Oh, wow. Awaiting visual confirmation. All right. We are showing that planetary defense is a global endeavor, and it is very possible to save our planet. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, and some of his colleagues celebrating a monumental occasion in what sounded like a real-life game of asteroids. NASA's double asteroid redetection test, the DART program, was put to the test last night as they crashed basically a spacecraft into an asteroid to test out its planetary defense plan. How important is this? How crazy of a collision was this in outer space? Let's ask Dr. Elena Hyde, the director of the Allen I. Carswell Observatory in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at York University. Dr. Hyde, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. It was really exciting. Just hearing the playback, I was uh, listening live and it was just amazing to see this little spacecraft get closer and closer because it was sending back images. And what was a little tiny dot to start with became bigger and bigger and bigger. And you could see the asteroid filling the screen of the imaging camera until it was just rocks getting closer and closer and going away. And this was a, um, as you say, almost a sort of game in space, maybe a little bit like pool or something trying to hit this asteroid with a spacecraft to deflect it sounds a bit sci-fi. I mean, we've hit things before, both on purpose and on accident. Um, <laughs> but this is the first time we've specifically tried to change in orbit on purpose. And this asteroid was not a few kilometers uh, you know, beyond Earth's atmosphere. This was way out there. Yes, and that is the key to success. And if you want to be able to change it enough to make a difference, you have to catch it when it's far enough away so that if you change it by a small fraction of a percent, you'll make a big difference by the time it would have gotten to you. Now, it's important to note this asteroid is never going to get to us. It is 6.8 million miles away, and there is no chance of it impacting Earth at all, which is why they're using it as an experiment. It's actually a binary asteroid system, and they've impacted the smaller of the two companions, uh, Didymos. They ch- they hope <laughs> they changed its orbit just a little bit, and changing the orbit of the smaller one would also slightly change the larger one. And how, what exactly they have changed, we do not know. We get to now watch for the next couple of years and see what kind of impact we have literally had. As you mentioned, this asteroid posed no threat to our planet. How likely is it that an asteroid or a comet will one day crash into Earth? Eventually, it will be very likely. It's just a matter of, is it going to be in 100 years or a million years? We just don't know what the chances are. We know there are asteroids out there. Eventually, one will become more than just earth crossing uh so we do need to have something on our our planning menu to take care of these and this impact 
is really quite interesting because if it's successful and if they have managed to change the orbit in the way that they were trying to, that means that we can actually affect asteroid orbits. Very, very cool. And it happening last night, um, if you were outside, you would not have been able to see it looking out with your naked eye. <laughs> it was um, it was 6.8 million miles away. That distance isn't just the problem, but it's so small. So the larger asteroid was only about 780 meters, less than half a mile. Um, and the small one is only about 160 meters, Dimorphos. That's the asteroid they actually hit, this little tiny asteroid, 6.8 million miles away. But we couldn't see it with our naked eye, but we can watch it with telescopes. Um, so if you saw something really, really bright last night, that was Jupiter, not the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> good, good to know. Uh, we're talking about uh, asteroids and NASA's double asteroid redetection test, which by all accounts was a big success. What is it um, basically body checked a, a little, uh, not a little, but a big asteroid way out into space. And we're in discussion with Dr. Elena Hyde, the director of the Allen I. Carswell Observatory in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at York University. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. This was also important for another reason, that is the testing of all this new technology that's designed to improve how we communicate with spacecraft way into outer space. Yes, exactly, because it it takes quite some time for light to travel um, at that distance, and we have to wait for replies. So you have to have it automated. This was obviously, I mean, I hope it's obvious, uncrewed. <laughs> so it's a robotic craft, which uh, does not need a lot of input from humans. You set it up as much in advance as possible, and it then makes um, its own uh, trajectory out to the asteroid and does the impact. So we don't have to physically be there. No one has to drive it to the asteroid. For example, your, um, I don't know, your, your, uh, Bruce Willis uh, <laughs> from that movie. <laughs> you don't have to drive a person there. It drives itself. Um, so this technology is great. And it, it actually launched a little CubeSat right before it uh, impacted. And this was the Italian Ly Lycia CubeSat. Hope I'm saying that right. Um, and that that actually is a very, very small little uh, um, satellite that was able to watch the impact from relatively nearby. And it's now continuing off into the um, uh, off into its its mission for more asteroids. But it's it's a great technology, very automated um uh, very relatively inexpensive. I, I saw something about a $300 million price tag, hmm. which for this kind of mission seems like a good deal. <laughs> That's a pretty big chunk of change. We got about 30 seconds. I do want to ask you, you brought up Jupiter. Uh, there is another spacecraft heading to Jupiter to check out the ice-covered moon, and it's happening Thursday morning? Oh, my gosh. Jupiter is a, a, a rock star right now. So Jupiter is at its closest to Earth for the last uh, 59, 59 years, which means it's in opposition, and we can actually um, uh, we can actually go ahead and get there relatively easier than normal. So at its closest, Jupiter is 367 million miles away, which it hasn't been this close since 1963, still much, much farther than Dimorphos. Um, now, the Juno spacecraft is about to get very, very close to Europa, which is the ice-covered 
watery uh, moon of Jupiter. Now, Jupiter has a lot of water and ice that we probably shouldn't go into right now, but this is an incredibly intriguing moon. We know it has liquid water underneath its ice. We just don't know how much, what kind, um, because it's covered by this ice layer. And um, exploring that has been a passion of many astronomers for quite some time. We really want to find out more about this fabulously interesting moon. Well, let's hope that this uh, latest mission uncovers maybe another piece to the puzzle. Dr. Hyde, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time today. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, if you do see that bright thing, it's definitely Jupiter, remember. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Elena Hyde, the director of the Allen I. Carswell Observatory in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at York University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Amazing story out of the Hamilton Music Collective and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. The uh, HMC has received a nearly $50,000 grant from the OTF to support uh, the growth of what is an amazing program in the city that helps at-risk youth in Hamilton. And here to talk about it is Astrid Hepner, the CEO of Hamilton Music Collective. And Astrid joins us now. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. I'm very well. Thanks. This, How are you? I'm great. This is a nice chunk of change. What is the funding going to be used for? Well, this funding is, well, um, it's used to actually expand our programs, to particularly expand them at our um, own, well, new home, the Gasworks, which is a beautiful performance place uh, right in the downtown of Hamilton, uh, to add new programs, to add um, additional instructors, and also to uh, build a new registration system in order to accommodate our students that are now actually coming from within the entire community and not only our partner schools, as it has been the case in the past. For those who are not familiar with Hamilton Music Collective, talk about the amazing things you do in this community for at-risk youth. Yeah, maybe um, I should go back a little bit to just talk about the An Instrument for the Child program, because that's the program that we are most known for. That's the program that we've been running now since actually well, it's a long time since 2010. So we um, launched it in 2010, 2010 at King George, King George Elementary School. And uh, let me just share some numbers with you and maybe also tell you a little bit about what it actually includes. So an instrument for every child doesn't only mean that we provide children with instruments, but also we also provide them with instrumental instruction. And that's really important to point out. So um, in terms of numbers, since 2009 to 2010, we have provided over 7,000 children in um, Hamilton's most uh, highest need schools, priority schools in downtown Hamilton, with the uh, opportunity to learn to play an instrument. We also provide them with uh, instruments on a free loan basis for the duration of the program, which is four years. And we have grown since then from one school into 16 elementary schools, which we are quite, quite proud of. Uh, we also offer the program at uh, three boys and girls club locations. And we, as of recently, partnered with the city of uh, Hamilton's recreation department, where we also offer the program. And uh, just to finish this, this uh, brief, you know, little backstory on HMC. So if you wanted to trans- translate this into number, we have provided into numbers, we have provided over $2 million uh, in free music lessons 
and over $110,000 of free instruments to some of uh, Hamilton's most, most underserved children and youth. Uh, since we launched the program, and that's something we're really proud of. It's really amazing. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Astrid Hepner, the CEO of Hamilton Music Collective. We know that music speaks to everyone. What have you seen it do for these uh, kids who, who come to your program? Well, um, one of our most important, um, how can I say, that was what really inspired us to start this program is that we as musicians, I'm a musician myself, really understand the benefits of music. And music, um, it builds confidence, it builds self-esteem, and it really helps the well-being of of students and children just to be creative. And especially as um, now talking specifically about the Gasworks, we call it to be creative in a safe space, in a space where you feel like there are people who are like-minded, people who are supportive, and people who really want to succeed, and I'm talking about our fantastic instructors. We have about 21 instructors who teach in our program. And um, and a lot of research has been done over the past 20 years of the, the proven benefits that actually music, music education and, and exposure to music and learning uh, to play a musical instrument has on children and youth. Um, it really, there, there are a lot of cognitive benefits. Um, now, I can't talk too much about this because I'm not um, a music therapist or a scientist here, but mm-hmm. apparently uh, playing to, uh, learning to play an instrument helps with the brain development. It helps te- uh, children to, it improves their reading, it improves their math skills. So those are just some of the benefits. But for us, and particularly now, um, just as we went through this horrible pandemic, which really affected so many children and youth in, a, in the most um, you know, unfortunate and horrible way, uh, it really helps children to deal with their emotions and um, to help them deal with anxiety and stress management. Um, so those are just some of the benefits. But then music also, it brings us together. Music, in my opinion, is a great connector. It always has been for me um, throughout my life. It, it helps them build team, it helps building uh, team, well, team building skills by playing in an ensemble, for example. There's so many benefits and um, yeah, I could go on and on. Uh, you've covered it uh, very nicely. It's a fantastic program. You can get more details online, hamiltonmusiccollective.ca. Astrid, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. That is Astrid Hepner, CEO of Hamilton Music Collective, one of my faves here in town, as it does a tremendous amount of good and touches so many individuals and families. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.